My name is Dermot. It's incredible to have you this morning. We're going to start a series that, as Matt said, I think it's going to impact a lot of people. I hope it's going to impact a lot of people. I know it's impacted me writing it, and it, I've struggled writing it. I've cried writing it. So I'm hoping all of you cry this morning. Um, let me pray before we get going, just, just to set the tone for what we're going to be talking about. Lord, um, just be with us this morning. Uh, open our hearts and our minds. Give us the just a supernatural level of understanding, and, and just allow your Holy Spirit come in and give us calmness if it brings up anything in anyone. Just, just let them feel your, your presence and your peace um, just in their hearts. I pray you give us a, a level of um, just hope that, that we know we need to have when it comes to topics like this, and that we're not alone, that uh, at the end of the day, we have you, we have each other, and I just pray that we know that, that we can seek help from multiple places. Senior, let me pray. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Who here has actually been to an escape room? Just out of curiosity. Anyone ever been to? Okay, two, three, three people, three, four, five people um, have been to an escape room. For those of you who haven't, they're popping up everywhere. I think there's three or four of them in Limerick by now. Um, there, there's got to be, be at least that. So in case you don't know what it is, it's, it's a place where um, you, know, you have groups of people, um, you know, social clubs, friends, you know, uh, whatever it may be, actually go into a room and you have these companies that, that have put them together and you pay them to lock you into a room. What a business model. <laughs> what an incredible... Like, you're paying people to stress you out. So what happens is you go in with a group of friends and there's a whole um, kind of thing where you go in and, and there's a series of clues and events and tasks that you have to complete in order to get out of the room. Now, the reason for it all is, is to simulate fear, because there's a sense of urgency. To simulate that sense of anxiety that says, I have to complete this task within a certain time, or I lose. So what it does is it gets the adrenaline going, and it gets the fear going, but at the end of the day, when you're in there, you know you're safe. You know you are. It's simulated, and it feels good. It's an adrenaline, an adrenaline rush, but you know you're safe. But that doesn't stop the, the heart pumping and the excitement going and you're blaming your friend because they're making a mistake and, and you want to you know, try and get out there. But it gives a real sense of danger and it gets your adrenaline flowing. And while it's meant to be a fun event and while it should be a fun event and a team-building event, for many people, for an untold number of people, men, women and children, it really isn't the game. That their entire life is an escape room, that they feel that sense of fear, that sense of anxiety, that sense of urgency all the time, that they can't press the escape button and get out when they want to, that their entire life is, is this struggle of anxiety. And for millions of people, it doesn't sound like a game because that's what they're dealing with. And this series is extremely personal to me as I said, it's probably one of the hardest series I've, I've ever had to write. I, I've drawn on a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of, a lot of books, to, to get some wisdom in how to phrase things and how to put things and, and that type of thing. But the, the truth be told, I've been writing this message for about 28 years. And it's just now I've put it on paper. That I, I've been dealing with this, you know, this personal, personal experiences, and, and it really is born out, out of that and, and some personal pain and, and, and struggles and, and all that type of thing. So, over the next three weeks, what we're going to be talking about is really the, the mental health crisis 
that it's not, it's not unique to Ireland. I think it's, it's kind of global. It's just in Ireland we're starting to realize that it exists, but more so how it affects us within the church, how the church has, has done a bad job, how I've done a bad job in not addressing this sooner. That within the church, it's, it's almost not shamed, but definitely brushed under the carpet a little bit. We brush it off and somebody comes to us with an issue, just pray about it. You'll be fine. Rely on God. We give these, these off-the-tongue tongue answers. And, and what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is approach it from a, a more biblical point of view, a practical point of view. And the truth of the matter is, so many people struggle with mental health. And, and that's, just, that's just a fact. You know, I, I've been struggling with, with God for the last few years about this because what I've been trying to do is, is come up with a series and, and come up with something that would address it. But truth be told, and, and honestly, I've been too frightened to. I've been too scared. I, I, the, the excuse I gave was, well, I'm not really sure how to handle this. I'm not really sure how I should approach it. So what I would do is just semi-ignore it for a period of time. But the problem is, by doing that, we're, we're not dealing or facing with, with what we need to do. And, and I've had to face through this series, kind of own up and face to some things that, that I haven't wanted to face, that, I, that I've struggled with, but I didn't want to, to admit. So last October of last year is when, when this started. And I had one person, it, it obviously started with one person, come to me and tell me that they were struggling with some anxiety. And I was like, oh, okay. So I would, I would talk to them. Two hours later, somebody else phoned me, I'm struggling with this. And over probably about a six-week period, I had no less, no less than 20, 30 people just from Elevate. So chances are, it, it's some of you, just from Elevate tell me they were struggling with anxiety and depression. And it was a real kick for me to say, all right, Lord, are you telling me I should do this series? Are you telling me now, now is the time? So what we done was we, we prayed about it and we said, you know what, we're going to ditch the series we were going to do in January and we're, and we're going to try and address it which sent my anxiety levels through the roof <laughs> because it now meant I had to approach and I had to deal with some things that I'm like, all right, let's, let's, let's take the bull by the horns. You know, but if you're here this morning and you're new to church or you wouldn't identify as maybe a follower of Jesus, you're going to benefit from this just as much as anybody else. So this isn't just for Christians, but I'm coming at it from a biblical perspective. So next week, what we're, we're really going to do is, t- today is really just an overview of what I, what I want to cover and, and just give you some general things that I think will really help. Next week, we're going to focus solely on anxiety and the following week, just solely on depression. So we're going to address the two of those. They're the most common ones that I feel that, that people are dealing with. So today, I'm just giving you a, a bird's eye view of kind of what, what we're going to be covering. So it, it, the sad reality, I think, is, is what most people might know. About 450 to 600 people a year, just in Ireland, commit suicide. So it's about 450 to, to 600, which is massive. But what people don't realize is, for every one person who kills themselves, 26 attempt it that we know of. And Irish culture demands, if somebody tries it, shush it. So that's just 26 that we know of. It's probably way higher than that. Way higher. The truth is, 12 to 15,000 people a year, as I said, attempt it in Ireland. And, and the problem with that is 52% of, of everyone in Ireland suffers with some form of mental health. Some form, 52%. So statistically, half the people in this room, over half the people in this room, are struggling with mental health. 58% of us will deal with a friend or family member struggling with it. 
So I think it's very common, or, or it's going to be very common, for everybody in this room at some stage to deal with what I'm talking about. There's a kind of stigma, I think, around mental health in general, but I found that, and it's horrible to say, but I found often in the church it's worse. You know, the church is a place where people should be able to come to find understanding and grace and mercy and, and kindness and to help them along. But so often within the church, we, we over-spiritualize it. And what we tell people oftentimes doesn't help. So what I want to try and do this morning is shatter the, the stigma and open up a path for us to finally, you know what, it's okay to talk about it. Is that okay? If we, if we shatter that stigma and say, you know what, it, it, it's actually okay if we talk about it. Now let me say from the beginning that if you don't suffer from mental health issues, if you don't suffer from anxiety or you don't suffer from uh, depression, thank God. Thank God. And I mean that. You just pray and say, Lord, thank you for allowing me to escape this burden. And it might be hard for you to relate to some of the things that I'm going to talk about, but what you can be is an anchor and a hope for somebody who does. So there's nobody, nobody getting out of this. You know, I heard somebody say once that trying to explain mental health to somebody who doesn't suffer from it is like trying to explain the color yellow to a blind person. You know it exists, you know it's real, but you can't relate. It's difficult to explain. And when you know, we don't experience it, maybe not intentionally, but sometimes followers of Christ can be so destructive in, in their approach to helping people with, with mental health. You know, have any of you heard or, you know, we need to stop this. So if you have heard the old kind of ignorant, uneducated answer from people within the church, well, you're a Christian, just cop on. Or just pray about it. Have more faith. What are you doing? Pull your socks up. How ignorant. That's really, it's really sad when you hear a follower of Christ, a person that's meant to have the Holy Spirit in them, the fruit of the Spirit come out, treat people like that. That shame on us for doing that. Okay, should we pray more? Absolutely, but how much? Should we have more faith? Absolutely, but how much? As I said, I've struggled with this my entire life. I've prayed a lot. I still struggle with it. I, I've tried. I think I have more faith. I still struggle with it. So what I want you to know this morning, if you suffer from any form of anxiety or depression, it's okay. And I mean that. It really is okay. You're not on your own. You don't have to be on your own. It's okay to struggle with them. You know, the national slogan for, for Ireland for mental health is, it's okay not to be okay. You've heard that? It's okay not to be okay. I actually disagree with it, believe it or not. I actually disagree with it. it, it you know, I agree with it's okay not to be okay, but with my own counselor a couple of years ago when I was going to him, he said, Dermot, you know you're not okay, but you're okay with it. <laughs> you're okay with not being okay. He said, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to stay. It's okay. If you're struggling, that's fine, but it isn't okay to stay that way. You know, acknowledging your struggle is not the same as dealing with your struggle. You can acknowledge it, but acknowledging it does nothing. We have to deal with it. And I know from personal experience, which, which I'm about to share in just a few minutes, you know, there's, there's no definite answer to what causes mental health. There's no definite answer to what, what kicks it off. It's kind of like going to a doctor and with a pain in your leg. What causes a pain in your leg? It could be anything. It could be your shoes, your stress, just working out, whatever it may be. There's no definite answer to what causes it, but what we do know is it's real. So over the next couple of weeks, what I'm going to try and do is unwrap 
how we can help each other, how we can help ourselves. And today, just a general view of how do we deal with, with anxiety and, and somebody in depression, because what I've learned, man, what I've learned with my own anxiety, just like the escape room, you're not getting out alone. You're, you're not getting out alone. That in order for you to overcome it, in order for you to master it, I don't think you, you ever really get rid of it. I think you learn how to live with it. I think you learn how to deal with it. But you're not doing it on your own. You're definitely not getting out of this escape room on your own. It takes multiple people and a lot of desire and a lot of care. And if you're a follower of Christ this morning, it takes a lot of seeking after Christ. But by his grace and his promise, you can absolutely do it. You know, some of you might be, some of you might know I'm, I'm studying Kind of psychotherapy, and I'm getting my, my degree in that. And somebody actually said to me yesterday, it's, it's only people who study psychotherapy are messed up. <laughs> and, you know, it's true. Every person I know who studied is, is messed up. And the reason being, I think, is they can relate to it so well. They can relate to, to kind of what's going on. And I'm going to give you some very practical things at the end, maybe some book suggestions and, and places to go for help. But I can promise you the best book to help with mental health is the Bible. I can promise you that. Now, if you're new or visiting, you might be saying, you have to say that you're a pastor, <laughs> or you have to say that you're in church. <laughs> I promise you, I do not have to say it. If you attend here, you know that anything, <laughs> you know that anything could come out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm not saying it because I have to. I'm saying it through personal experience, that I'm saying it because I've dealt with it for the last 28 years. And I'm saying it because from reading scripture, it gives us hope, not just information. It lets us know who God is and, and how we can be a part of that. And there's so many people in Scripture, so many people in Scripture, who've had to deal with the pain that you and I face when it comes to mental health issues. David wanted to die. His anxiety was so high, he wanted to die. Elijah, his depression drove him to the point of suicide. He wanted to die. And Paul, how many times did Paul want to throw in the towel? More than we can count. You know, 47 of the Psalms deal with hopelessness, pain, and depression. That's one-third of the Psalms deal with mental health issues. Because it's not unbiblical, if you're a follower of Christ, to struggle with mental health. And don't let anybody tell you it is. It is not unbiblical to struggle with it. But it is unwise not to deal with it. It is unwise not to face it. As I said, one-third of the Psalms deal with it. And Christians aren't immune to mental health issues. They can affect anyone, and it isn't unspiritual to have it. Listen to what David says. Every Bible's open up Psalm 143. Here's, here's what David said about this. This is his depth of depression in this. He says, answer me quickly. How many of us have felt that a, a sense of urgency with anxiety? Answer me quickly. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me. Or I will be like those who go down to a pit. Let the morning bring the word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way that I should go. For, I, for to you I entrust my life. How many of you have ever felt that pit of anxiety? Or a pit of depression? So today we're going to have a few, give you a few tools to help somebody you know. Or, or to help yourself. And I want to cover just, just a couple of things that, as I was writing this, I was thinking, what would I have wished somebody else knew? What would I have wished somebody did for me when I was going through this and when I go through this? 
And I think one of the first things, the first thing that, that popped into my mind when I was writing this was, sometimes you choose your room, but sometimes your room chooses you. Sometimes you choose your room, but sometimes your room chooses you. There are many forms of mental health issues. And more often than not, a person doesn't sit down with a menu and look at a list of anxiety disorders and say, I love this one. It's not how it works. That isn't how it works. For me, my room chose me when I was about eight, about eight years old. And I suffered and suffer from a, a really extreme form of agoraphobia, which is why I became a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I still suffer with it. I've suffered with it for, for 28 years. And I've learned to deal with it mostly. Mostly I've learned, learned to deal with it. I function with it. But I struggle with it every day. Most people don't know it because I've learned to, to deal with it mostly. And for those of you who don't, don't know what agoraphobia is, it's an avoidance, really. The definition of it, really, is an avoidance of places or situations that might cause panic and make you feel trapped, helpless, and embarrassed. Welcome on stage. <laughs> and that was honestly one of the struggles of being called to be a pastor is, for years, I'm like, are you for real? I mean, walking into a room full of people sends my anxiety through the roof. And you want me to get up in front of people? Most of you know I go red almost all the time. Almost all the time. But you know what? I'll take the redness over the fear any day. Any day. I didn't choose my room. And like some of you who are suffering, don't choose your room. You don't choose it. You, you, you deal with the hand you're dealt with. But my hope is that you know there is hope and there is a way out. And you have nothing to be embarrassed with asking for help. Nothing to be embarrassed with. It's taken me years to realize you don't have to be embarrassed to ask for help. But most of all, I wish, this is one of my biggest wishes, that somebody, somebody had known that what Scripture said. Somebody had pointed me towards Scripture when Psalms 119, 7-3 says, You made me. You created me. The sense of isolation I felt and feel often going through this is that nobody wanted me. Who, who'd want somebody like this? That God didn't make a mistake when he met me. You know, my, my anxiety and depression got so bad. It got so bad about eight. But by the time I was nine, I remember walking into the bedroom. And I remember looking at my mother and saying, why am I so broken? Why aren't I like everybody else? Why can't I go outside? Why can't I eat? That my agoraphobia got so bad, I'd have seizures, like, like seizures. There weren't seizures, but they were like seizures. My muscles would cramp up so bad, I'd cut myself. And I would lie on the floor. And my parents had no idea what was going on. I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't their fault that they didn't get me help. They didn't know. This was back in the late 80s. They had no idea what it was. And I didn't know what it was. And all I remember my mother saying to me is, I don't know why you're broken. I don't know why. And I didn't know why. Nobody knew why. You see, your state of mind in your room, it's not your fault. I wish somebody had told me that. I thought it was because something I was doing. And now I know it wasn't my fault. If you look at Psalm 139, it says this. 
You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. It's taken me a while to read the next verse. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's taken me a while to thank God for the way he made me. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. Because I know now dealing with mental health is just dealing with mental health. There's nothing wrong with me. You're complex. And if you're dealing with it, it's not a sin. It's not a sin to be dealing with mental health. It's just something to be dealt with. Mental illness is no more to be ashamed of than somebody who gets cancer. It's no more to be ashamed of. It's just something that we have to deal with. It's the effects of sin in the world. God didn't create this world with mental health or illness or any form of it. It's the effects of sin. It's the consequences of us doing what we did back in Eden. And I know for me, you know, <laughs> healing might seem impossible where you are. You know, you, you, might be, you might not see a way out of your situation. And the thing for me when, when I was at my peak of this anxiety was I thought I'd never be able to get out of it. I thought I'd never be able to get out of it. And to be honest, no matter what anybody said made me feel better. And I know if I'm saying this to you now and you're in the middle of it, you might believe what I'm saying, but you can get out of it. I promise you, you can. I did. I went from an extreme case, an extreme case of agoraphobia, to traveling the world. I couldn't leave. I didn't leave my house in nearly two years. But yet through God and, and through people, I, I was able to do it. See, Paul, some of you might not know if you're new to church, there, there's a section of scripture in Second Corinthians that talks about Paul having a, a thorn in his flesh. You know, and, and no one really knows what that thorn was. It was, it was some form of, of issue or struggle that, that Paul was dealing with. But, but listen, listen to this. And this might, I'm reading this in a biased way. So I'm not saying this is what it is. It's just kind of what I think it is. It says, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, he's praising God. God's given me so much. So to keep me from being proud, I was given this thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. When I try to read that verse, I think, my anxiety and my depression has brought me closer to God than I would have ever gone on my own. And when I was so, I hated it. I hated it. Now I'm grateful for it. Now, do I look forward to having one? Absolutely not. But am I grateful for it? Absolutely. Because when I get one, I pray. I stay close to God. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap it for the world. I really wouldn't. If somebody said I can get rid of it, I'd be like, no, don't. Because if you do, I don't think I'll, in my natural ability, stay where, where God wants me to be. Because I know now my identity isn't my illness. My identity is I'm a child of God. That's where it's at. My identity isn't my illness. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, your identity still isn't your, your, your illness at all. It's an aspect of you. That's what it is. It's not your identity. See, we can choose our room, or our room chooses us. And a practical side of this is sometimes we do choose our room, and that's where we need to own up to this. Sometimes we, we do choose our room by putting ourselves in situations that might cause depression or anxiety. You know, if you're somebody who, who uses alcohol in a really excessive way, that's a, that's a depressant. It can cause a spiral of, of depression or through morals or, or bad choices. 
But no matter what your bad choices are, no matter how much you might have chosen your room, depending on, on what, what might be going on, God's grace never gives up on you. Just because you choose it doesn't mean there isn't a way out. Just because you choose it doesn't mean that, that you can't get, a, get out of the room. Because we all make bad choices. Who, who here hasn't made a bad choice? But God's grace never gives up on us. Not just, you know, our current bad choices can get us into one, but maybe past bad choices. You know, I was thinking about this during the week, and uh, from speaking to other people and things like that, I was thinking, you know, a lot of people who go through things today, it really is an effect of their past. Maybe it was uh, they're dealing with, with the bad choices of other people. Maybe it was parents who were extremely harsh or judgmental or cruel or dogmatic and it was just about getting the work done and you were never allowed to express yourself. And you're dealing with that now. You're dealing with that feeling of never been told you were loved. Never been shown you were loved. So you react harshly and bitterly. And you're dealing with that room that you can't feel you can get out of. See, often we make bad choice after bad choice and, and our room gets bigger and bigger. But sometimes our circumstances choose us. And it's making the choice and having the courage. It's not easy. Having the courage to say, I need help. It's having the courage to, to seek out and get the help you need. The second thing I wish somebody told me, don't buy into the lie of secrecy. Don't lie, buy into the lie of secrecy. I bought into this lie pretty much my entire life. And this is where I have to practice what I preach. I was talking to somebody just yesterday about this, and um, they asked, I asked them, how well do you know me? And they said, I know you pretty well. So I asked them some questions about me, and they knew nothing. Because I've become a master at being your friend, but you'll not be close. I'll keep you at the arm's length, because I've done it for so long. I will never let somebody get close. I'm changing that. I'm letting, never let somebody get too close. And the reason being is, I was ashamed. I was ashamed of what they'd find out about me. And it's a lie. You know, I, I was ashamed of my condition, so, so I suffered alone. And, you know, outside my parents and maybe, maybe some close family members, everybody thought I was just a stubborn, bold child because I wouldn't do what my parents told me. It's like, why don't you send him out? He won't go. I wasn't going outside because I chose not to go outside. I wasn't going outside because I couldn't go outside. At a church, my, my, my hope is that we can make Elevate a place where people feel safe to share. That's my hope, is that people are met with understanding. I thought growing up, especially in my early 20s when I started going to church, I didn't really, really start going to church in my early 20s, but I thought if I shared with Christians what I was going through, I'd get the well, you just need to pray more. Do you not believe in healing? <laughs> just have more faith. And unfortunately, when I did share, that's exactly what I was met with. That's exactly what... Here, let me pray for you. I have the gift of healing. It was like, gee, thanks. It's like telling the woman, you know, calm down. <laughs> doesn't happen. <laughs> don't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> you know, some things just don't work. You know, and, and it's, it's just dealing with, with those levels of anxiety and, and, and being told that because of those comments, I felt like I couldn't talk to people because of those. And if you were to say those things, stop. Just take them aside and pray with them. Don't tell them the condition they have is because they're not praying enough or because they don't have enough faith. 
You need to know you're not alone and you need to know you're not isolated, that you have a team around you who's willing to help. The problem I had is I never had the courage to ask for the help. It's out there. For years, I, I've, <laughs> for years I've been accused of being cranky or I'd be abrupt with people or I'd be distracted and forgetful. Yeah, and, and all those things I was accused of because they were all true. But the truth is, I get so distracted so easily because I deal with anxiety all the time. I feel trapped. So I'm abrupt and cranky and get out of there. <laughs> now, I'm not using that as an excuse to be abrupt, cranky and get out of there. That reaction is my choice. That's on me. I need to change that. So it's not an excuse to be that way. I need, I need to figure out a way to, to get that. But the problem was I'd rather have that reputation than tell people the truth. I'd rather somebody say, you're a cranky get, than me say, actually, I'm struggling right now. Can you give me two minutes? That response would be far better than telling somebody, just get out of my way before I bust you. <laughs> you know, that we need to be able to be honest and create a place where we can be honest. And Now, I, I could talk about this for hours, and I need to, need, I'm conscious of time. But what I want to do is give you a few very simple things, just a couple of things that if somebody had responded to me in these ways, or if, if you're responding in these ways, to, to just learn from these things. Just learn from them. Because for me, what caused me a lot of anxiety was when I thought I was bothering people or they didn't care. So the first thing that, that I would suggest that if you're dealing with somebody with anxiety is this. Your story doesn't take away the right for somebody else to have their story. Your story doesn't take away the right for somebody else to have their story. When somebody shares with you their issues and problems, the first thing well-meaning people do is jump in and tell you how their story is worse. I broke my leg. Sure, that's nothing. I broke my back. <laughs> well-meaning. They don't mean anything by it. They think that if a person knew a worse story, it would eliminate the pain of their story. And it doesn't work doesn't work like that. When we do that, when somebody calls you to share your, their story with you, what, you actually, what you're actually telling them when you interrupt them is, your story isn't as important as mine, now listen up. That's what we're telling them. They think that you know, we, we, when we shut them down and you tell them, often, again, without meaning to, well-meaning people, but what we tell them is, I can't talk to you. Because when I talk to you, by making me feel better, you're making me feel worse. Again, might not be your intention, but it's what we're doing. And I know from personal experience, 99% of the time that happens, the person doesn't mean it. It's not intentional. Because the truth is, someone has a worse story. Someone has a worse story. We all think our worst story would fix somebody else's problem, but it never does because there's always somebody with a worse story. So with my anxiety, I always thought my anxiety was the worst. But then I'd hear somebody else's story and realize it wasn't. And what we have to realize is, when I meet somebody with anxiety, I don't compare mine to theirs, I just sit there. Because the truth is, I don't know how they feel. I'm not, I'm not psychic. I know how I felt, but I don't know how they feel. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what they're experiencing. The best I can do is compare it to my story. That's the best I can do. But the best I can do is listen. And that's the second point. Listen is an acronym for silent. Stop trying to figure it out. But it is. Listen is an acronym for silent. You don't have to pee. 
people get so stressed out about this, don't panic about replying. Don't get stressed out about what you're going to say. Just listen and understand, not reply. Just listen and understand. Do you know it's actually perfectly okay to say to somebody, I don't know how to respond? Do you know it's perfectly okay to say to somebody, I really don't know how to handle this? Because I promise, I promise you, by saying that, it'll make the person feel better than you trying to bluff your way through it. Because when you try and bluff your way through it, they know you're, they're making you feel anxious, which is the last thing they want to do. See, the last thing a person going through any form of mental health issue feels like they want to be is a burden, or like they're not being heard. What people, when I say, you know, what people say when I have an attack, you know, when they react that way is that, that it's not that important. You know, when, I, when I, they interrupt me and, and I was just like, I don't want you to do anything, man. I just want you to listen. I don't want you to fix it. You can't. I just, I just want you to listen. And the last thing I'll leave you with is for you people who, who might be suffering with this is that what you're going through can be dealt with. If you're really going through something, you probably, chances are you don't believe it. That's the chances. I know I didn't believe it. But I promise you it's true. I promise you it can be dealt with. There are more people, there are people in this room who will help you. There's more organizations in Limerick now that will help you, and I'll recommend a hundred of them to you. What, you've you got to believe it. <laughs> what you're dealing with can be dealt with. There is hope, and I promise you there, there's a way out. Because what happens is, this torment we have in our minds makes us feel trapped. And if you're anything like, like I, I was, you're brushing this off but I promise you there's a way out. Hebrews 13.5 says this, because it's hard when we feel alone. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never leave you. When you're going through this, not only is God by your side to comfort you and to help you, but have the courage to reach out to somebody that will comfort and help you. And I, it, that's a promise from God. Now, I've entrusted that for the last 15 years, as somebody, you know, who, who couldn't go outside the door for two years. Anybody who knew me when, when I was a teenager probably remembers me with a bottle of water in my hand. I used to walk five years. Five years I walked around with a bottle of water in my hand because I was terrified of choking. And I needed water all the time. I promise you I know what I'm talking about. That you can get out of this. I get an anxiety attack probably more than twice a week. But listen, church, I, this, I'll finish this. Listen, we need to be advocates in our life. I have an incredible wife that puts up with my mood swings and my anxiety and my depression, and she's kept it to herself since she's known me because I've asked her to. We all need advocates in our life. We all need people to help us. And when I had kids, man, that helped me a lot. It gave me a reason not to do something stupid. And there's a support that I think all of us need to have to love each other, but there's a support, that same support that we get from Jesus Christ. And, you know, he's there. He's an advocate for you. He wants to help you. He can help you. And if you don't know Jesus, you can know him this morning. You can know him. You can trust him right where you are. Because no one knows what you're going through better than he does. Nobody knows what you're going through more than he does. Christ himself had anxiety the night before his crucifixion. He cried out to God. He knows what it's like. So don't go through this alone. That's all I want to leave you with. You do not have to go through this alone. There are people to help you and support you and to guide you through this. Pray with me.
Lord, we thank you that um, we know we're not what broken. Um, we are broken people. We're broken um, mentally, physically, and I just pray you break us um, emotionally to be able to, to draw closer to you. I pray you give us the courage we need to seek help, that the first thing Satan wants us to do is to think we're on our own, that, we, that he wants us to think that we're the only person going through this. And I pray you give us the courage to reach out to you and to reach out to others to know that we can deal with this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.